when I was in the United States, um, I would hear this common like this common saying that like, oh, like we need to move to Canada. Uh. <laughs> um, like everything is perfect in Canada, um, United States. There's so many problems in the United States with the healthcare system. Canada has universal healthcare. Like Canada is the place to be. But the healthcare system in Canada also does have issues, uh, as I mentioned, hmm. with the uninsured populations. Um, so I guess that's that's a similarity in in some way. Absolutely. Um, Official podcast of the Migration and Critical Health Research Group at York University in Toronto. By chatting with new and experienced researchers in the area, we explore their personal journeys and the important work they do, what it is, why it is, and how it came to be. My name is Michael Ruderman, and with me as always is producer Ben Stevenson. He gave a thumbs up. Uh, today we're welcoming Jay Doshi. Jay is a Fulbright fellow, uh, I should say a Fulbright scholar. Fulbright student. Was Fulbright student and a recent graduate from Cornell University, who is spending some time doing work here at York uh, with the mock research team. His current work explores the impact of COVID-19 directives, uh, which were introduced by some Canadian provinces to provide free health services for all individuals, regardless of immigration status, uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now we're going to have time now to dig into that a little bit further and into some of his other work. So... Yeah, thank, thank you for the introduction, and it's so awesome to be here with you guys. Great, welcome. Um, yeah, how are you doing today? Doing good. Um, long morning, but we're here. Yes. We're here. Okay, great. <laughs> um, I know you haven't been in Toronto for too long, right? Well, yeah. a few months now. Um, yeah, so I got here in um, September, and... Uh, so it's been about five months now. Okay, enough to get a sense of a sense of the place. How yeah, are you liking it? Definitely. Um, I mean, I'm I'm liking it a lot now. Definitely. When I got here, there was that initial culture shock, um, where like just getting like thrown into a new place, not knowing anyone, um, just entering a whole new world. Uh, especially, I just came out of college, uh, out of university, and um, so. So just the idea of getting thrown out into the real world and really like rebuilding like new connections and just um, navigating through all these different uh, tasks. The first couple months were, especially in a new country, um, the first couple months were a little uh, adjust adjustment was needed, but mm-hmm. um, definitely loving it now. Uh, I've been able to explore Toronto. Um have been to a lot of nice places downtown, and um, yeah, that's great. Have you so done far. any touristy the touristy sites? Have you seen the CN Tower? Done the all, all the things? <laughs> I mean, I haven't I haven't been to the CN Tower, but I look at it outside my room every day. <laughs> yes, okay. So that's got to count for something. <laughs> it's and hard to miss. <laughs> it is hard to miss, and um, yeah, just like the the harbor front, the museums, just checking out different like food spots too, big right. foodie. Um, so yeah. I was going to ask if um, 
because Cornell's in Ithaca, right, in New York. So you're you're used to the weather now, probably the like northeastern <laughs> kind of. I am, but I mean, every time it's it's it always surprised me. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I mean, I, I recently got these like heat packs. Um, the yeah. ones you squish in your yeah, hand and put and in your pockets. No and... Yeah, and I just I just have them all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Keeping that's smart. my body warm. Layer yeah. up. Yep. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, so before Cornell, you were in California. Is that right? Is yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, so I grew up in I grew up for most of my life in California, um, and. So after my ninth grade, I attended this early entrance program. Um, it's essentially like an early college program where I, I, I guess I dropped out of high school after ninth grade and started um, in the early college program um, where it's like a group of 30 kids um, in like who are in high school. They, they go through like an interview process and like a summer like college prep. Uh, process and then from there they like choose like oh, okay can this person start like college early um so I was lucky to be um chosen and then from that I transferred to Cornell and finished my undergraduate wow degree. so how old were you when you started at at university or college um 15 wow yes, yes. <laughs> that's very young yeah, it is. It is very young. Um, was that how? How was that? Was that sort of an overload, or did you were you at the right place for that? Um, I, it was. It was. It was definitely challenging. Um, in terms of like, in terms of, I guess the atmosphere. Uh, just mm. definitely like a challenging atmosphere. But um, but it was great to have, like, um, people of a similar age with me because, I guess I guess. I had two separate college experiences where or undergraduate experiences where in one of them um, it was uh, at, at Cal State LA in my early college program uh, in the early entrance program it was um, students who uh, were my age um, and we were also with students who are older than us um, in these classes but they're also like we, we all worked together and managed and like the workload was a little rough but we 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 managed. Um, and then going to Cornell and it was with more of a, more my age at this point. Cause I was older. Um, so, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's a, a very impressive. Uh, and you made it through <laughs> and, and yeah. now are a Fulbright student. I was wondering if you could tell us a little more about what that means or yeah. Tell us about yeah. the Fulbright scholarship program. Yeah. So, um, so my first year at Cornell, um, I, was introduced to this program, the Fulbright program, and I immediately fell in love with it. Just the idea of, so Fulbright is, Fulbright U.S. program is where um, students of the U.S. Um, from, uh, like, they could be a recent graduate or, a, like, one who just graduated, um, they attend a different country for a year hmm. and essentially the goal is to do research or to teach there um and to also like it's it's about intercultural relations and um like sh international shared concerns and just just building a community internationally um mm -hmm. so so i fell in love with this program um and so my 
I I I don't speak any other languages um, other than Hindi um, and very very basic Spanish. <laughs> um, okay. So I couldn't choose too many places to go to, um, but Canada was number one on my list, and I. I loved the idea of coming to Toronto, of coming to New York University, working um, with this wonderful research group, and yeah, here I am, and I'm loving the program so far. Very cool. It's been a great experience. So, did so? How did you hear about the uh, York, particularly, or, to, or was it? Were you looking at cities maybe in Canada that you'd want to go to, and sort of looked at the various uh, offerings, or yeah. how did that work? Yeah. So I. I was look. I that's exactly what I was doing. I was looking at different cities um, in Canada, and different like I, I guess my research my research in, interests hmm. was like the first thing I looked at, and the second thing I looked at was uh, the city. So my first um, the first thing I looked at was the res- research interest, and it was with oh uninsured populations hmm. and migrant health, and from that I cut the list of to certain like universities and then um york university sounded really appealing to me so i decided to email um email the professor and here we are yes i uh um not to you know go a little free form but i'm curious about your your research interests since you brought them up um what led you to be to be interested in, in in those areas was there any personal connection you had to that um growing up or or was it um, maybe something that you were introduced to at school or through the news? Was there anything in particular that led you to that? Yeah, um, I think it was... I th- So I think I really was introduced um, with my research interest through um, my, my culture. I mm. went to the Jane Center of Southern California, um, which is... Uh, which is my temple, and um, there uh, we had something called JCYC, which was like the Jane Youth, a uh, Jane Center Youth Committee, um, and it was like a group of middle schoolers and high schoolers that just did out- outreach programs. Oh, cool! Um, and so it was, it was just, it was just a group of me and like some of my closest friends, like oh, going to the food pantry and helping out there every weekend. Or going to um, the homeless in Skid Row and helping there, um, and and just like uh, donating food there. And so there is these different projects, um, and from there I was able to talk to a lot of people and just see that um, a lot of a lot of vulnerable people, um, in, not only in Los Angeles but like of course like all across the nation and mm. all across the world. Um, they're they're being disproportionately impacted by healthcare, um, by the healthcare system, and this isn't only in Los Angeles. This is also a global thing. Um, we see it in Canada, based on the research project that I, I'll definitely tell you more about. Um, and um, Dr. Hinia helped um, helped me understand, like I I knew what was happening in the United States, but. She helped me understand what was going on in Canada and how there's so many similarities and um, just how we can approach making an impact. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope and to do that with my I'll research. I'll say Michaela Hinia, Dr. Michaela Hinia is the, the sort of lead professor here um, yes. in our uh, migration and critical health uh, research team. So, She's yeah. awesome. Yep. She is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
That's fantastic. I, I, I think that's that's really amazing. And and I imagine it led you, um, because I know you were involved in a large database project, right? When you were, um, I, I guess, in your early years at Cornell, is that right? Or uh, Right before, the year before Cornell. Oh, wow. Yes. Okay, so you were 15... 17, 17. Oh, 17, sorry. Oh, I yeah. see, I see, okay. Yeah, so... Yeah, t- t- yeah. tell us about it. Yeah, so, um, so the database is called the... California Social Resource Database, mm. um, caliresources.org. So this started March 2020, um, so during COVID, like the month COVID started. I see. Um, I got the message saying that, oh, school, we're going to have two weeks off because of break. Um, <laughs> proceeded with two years. But, yes. Um, that but, famous two weeks. We'll yeah. be back in two weeks. Um, but... Yeah, so the two weeks happened, and I I just want I just I, I was shadowing a doctor in Los Angeles at this point, and there were so many like there were cases going on and so much there's so much uncertainty going on, um, and then I thought about how I could help in some way possible, mm. um, and so I created the California Social Resource Database. Um, which is a comprehensive like listing of it's a directory of like food pantry, emergency services, emergency housing, um, legal services uh, specific to each county in California. Um, so I I worked with like the Jane Center of Southern California and I reached out to um, my networks and see who was interested in helping with this project. And we were able to gather around 40 um, high school and undergraduate students. And um, we were able to create this database and it's attracted over 50,000 users. Oh, wow. um, and I, I'm, I, hope, I hope it made an, an impact. Um, and I just wanted to do my part and just help as much as possible uh, in in the way that I could at that time, knowing that uncertainty was there. I so, see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, we update it every every quarterly, so every three months now. Um, and yeah, that's so great. And it directs California people. Social resource database. Yes, it directs people to resources that they need. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's and it's great. just like the the website, the information, like the hours. Um, contact information and like just a little about information section and i can see how the organizations you were involved with before sort of maybe empowered you to to take up that that task and it sounds like they helped connect you with other people and all those things that's great absolutely yeah wow um so yeah i was gonna ask um do you think uh that kind of work um, informed your uh, your scholarship acceptance, and I, I guess I'm curious. Do you have any advice for if someone did want to apply for a competitive scholarship, like um, uh, like the scholarship you're on right now? Um, if you had any advice for those people, just I guess just love what you do. Um, I I mean I'm I'm still super young, um, so I. I don't have, I mean, I, I'm still learning every day. Um, I guess the advice for someone who's applying um, would be to keep, to, to, to love what you're doing and really focus on your passion and 
go all in. I, I love yeah. it. Yeah. No, that's that's amazing advice. And people, hopefully people who would benefit from that are also wondering, you know, and they just don't have the same experience that you do. So I think I think love what you do is an amazing, um, amazing advice that I think we all should think about a little more seriously, you know, because it's easy to make that the secondary or sort of tertiary goal. Mm. You know, if, if we make it our primary goal, maybe it'll it'll drive us towards um, towards positive things. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Also, oh, also, yeah, go ahead. Also, uh, one last thing. Um, also building a strong support system. Um, I've had some times when I am down or not in a good mood and um, just having a support system, whether it be your parents, your siblings, or even your like uh, your friends, of course, or even even anyone, just just people you're working with, or like the barista at your local coffee shop, just anyone um, having a nice support system um, is definitely important. Um, so that too. Yeah, that's fantastic. I know. Um... Uh, not that, you know, we want to focus hundred percent on academia and what academic life is, but I know for a lot of people it can be kind of isolating and it can be, um, you know, there can be a culture of competitiveness and kind of weirdness around some things. So I agree. The more you can find those support systems, just the more perspective you'll have and, and the less, uh, life and death, everything will seem. So yeah, I totally agree. Why don't we turn to your ongoing work? Uh, I was wondering great. if you could tell us a little bit about the project you're you're doing right now uh, here at York. Yeah, so um, so the project I'm doing on it it, it talks about what we were talking about earlier. Um, it has to do with working with um, uninsured um, populations in Canada, um, and so uh, new 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 immigrants. Um, so. Canada has a three-month Ontario has a three-month policy um, where, uh, let's say, I'm migrating from the United States to Canada. Um, there's a three-month period where I don't have um, insurance, uh, health insurance. So in those three months, um, anything if anything happens, then it's under me to pay and do everything, correct? Um, so come March 2020, there was a directive in Ontario, um, and not only Ontario, but also in different provinces, that said, that said either, oh, the three-month period is completely waived for all health, for all care, um, or the three-month period is waived for only COVID coverage. And that would vary province to province? Pro right. Ah, so some provinces had, oh, so only COVID care is waived, but if anything happens to you within those three months, then you still have to pay if it's not COVID-related. Interesting. Um, and, and can I ask, not to interrupt, but we're in Ontario. Which one was Ontario? Right. So um, so that's the project. So that, that has to do with the project. Ah. So the project is qualitative and quantitative. So mm. the qualitative part is me. Um, so I'll, I'll be interviewing um, and working with others who will interview um, different uh, key informants and advocacy groups. Um, and they have who have a strong idea of like the 
directives being implemented. Mm. Um, so we'll be interviewing um, we'll be interviewing individuals who have an idea of oh like this was the Ontario dire- this was the Ontario directive. How was it implemented? Was it implemented properly? Uh, because although on paper like it may seem oh okay this is the directive this is how we're going to follow it all the care um we'll we'll give it some hospitals may not have um like adhered to the rules or adhered to the directive some hospitals just may have not known what the directive was Mm. um so just getting a better understanding of what the directive is so that's that's like the qualitative side of it of the project so the qualitative side is about um what the directive was and how it was actually implemented is that is that am i right there right Mm. um and the quantitative aspect is understanding the impact that the directive had um, mm. between provinces. So, um, so let's say we're comparing Ontario and British Columbia. And so Mar- we're looking at data before the directive was implemented. Um, the data meaning am- ambulatory care sensitive data. So like inpatient, um, care and, um, just hos- hospital data. Um, and we're looking how the directive has made an impact by looking at it prior to the directive was implemented, when the directive was implemented, and today, like post-directive. So we're comparing um, just the impact of like the directive. So in a way, health policy, not policy, but directive um, to health outcomes. I see, I see. Vulnerable populations. And um, uh, it's okay if this this gets too um, technical, Mm-hmm. then we don't have to go into it. But I'm curious, um, yeah, what, what, what is it that you're looking at um, in this quantitative data before and after uh, and during, I suppose, the directive? You were saying it's, it's hospital inpatient, um, like how many people come into the hospital or is it how well they do after coming in? Um, could you clarify that a little bit for me? Yeah, so we're, we're still like figuring out um, the specifics, but it's we're potentially looking at like a diagnosis diagnoses mm. um so like where we still have to figure out the specifics but um that's like the general idea that's very cool so so we're integrating two different kinds of of uh you know, of research, right? The idea of it qualitative being more interview based. Um, it could be interviews, it could be observation, but qualitative data doesn't use numbers essentially Mm -hmm. and quantitative, uh, does, and it might be more what you're used to when you think of classic sort of science. Um, but that's great. And, and you're thinking of sort of bringing them together to get a fuller picture of how these things work. Yeah. Because I, I believe both of them go hand in hand at the end of the day, because you can't have of course, numbers are one thing, but um, patient experience is another thing that oftentimes goes unnoticed, and it's so important um, to take that into consideration because, of course, patients are, it's more than just a numbers game, right? It's, mm. it's understanding, it's being empathetic, trying to get uh, individual level um understanding rather than a systems level approach to 
um, the whole thing. So, so yeah, I think both of them are so, so important to just bettering um, research altogether. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Great. So I know you're sort of, um, uh, I had a little question here, whether yeah. there are any preliminary findings you could share with us, but it sounds like, you know, we're still figuring out some of the the structure of it before you can actually implement it. Have you right. done any interviews or anything like that yet? Not yet? No. So we're starting this month. Oh, um, amazing. So yeah, hopefully it all goes smoothly and we're counting for the best. Fantastic. Um, that's great. I wanted to ask, as someone who has uh, lived in the U.S. and you've talked a little bit about differences between the U.S. and, and Canada in some ways, mm-hmm. um, and how Dr. Hinia maybe has helped you understand that Canada also has some of these uh, barriers that might be a little more hidden, uh, or at least uh, less talked about. Um, uh, I was wondering if your work has highlighted any interesting differences between the two countries, because um, having done this work in both places, I'm sure you're, you're noticing some differences. Yeah. Um, so, so before I get to differences, I'll, I'll say, I'll say like when I was in the United States, um, I would hear this common out, like this common saying that like, oh, like we need to move to Canada. Uh. <laughs> um, like everything is perfect in Canada. Um, um, United States, there's so many problems in the United States with the healthcare system. Um, Canada has universal health care, like Canada is the place to be. Um, but there are also a lot of, um, there are like the healthcare system in Canada also does have um, issues, uh, as I mentioned, hmm. with the uninsured populations. Um, so I guess that's, that's a similarity <laughs> in, in some way. Absolutely. Um, in terms of differences, I think, I, I guess I've also only been here for five months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's okay um, if so. So <laughs> yeah. I I may be wrong, but um, but as a patient, it seems that like prescription um is less expensive, and consultations are also less expensive, um, and it's also easier to get um. I guess everywhere here there or like at university there's like an uh an accommodations uh disability um center um so there's there's a huge mental health um aspect here hmm. that um that is still growing in the United States um so it's definitely something to appreciate about Canada oh that's interesting yeah, yeah. No, but I think it's so important what you're highlighting that it's it's very easy for, you know, Canadians too, feeling a little self su uh, sort of um, superior, I guess, uh, and you know, being able to critically reflect and say, really, is, you know, are we acknowledging all of these limitations and difficulties that 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 you know people here face every day, mm-hmm. um, and I think in a lot of ways they get sort of scrubbed out um, from our awareness. Yeah. So I'm I'm so glad that you're doing the work you're doing. I was wondering, I, I kind of wanted you to um, maybe reflect on in broadly, you know, what do you think the benefits of the research you're doing are? I wonder if it's sort of in this area, certainly bringing awareness about some of the limitations of, uh, of the Canadian healthcare system and, and ways that, you know, things have been done to try to improve them through these directives. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was wondering if you could speak a little more to that. Yeah. So I, um, 
better understanding is one thing. So better awareness, um, not only to um, the public, but also to like uh, just the healthcare system and healthcare like providers, and also um, just the the government um, in terms of oh like this is like the directive uh, or like the how like the impact of the directive. Hmm. Um, and so if, if to forbid, like if anything ever, if anything happens, if another COVID-19 happens, situation happens again, um, we're ready to um, mitigate it as quickly as possible. And there's, le- there's governmental actions that um, are more clear and, hmm. um, and so that's one thing. Um, another thing is it's just for, like for the public, um, just getting a better understanding. And yeah, so I think I think and also bringing it to back to the United States and from there working on this data and for years to come, having a United States Canadian collaboration um, is also very important, especially mm-hmm. just being like across the border, I think that's very essential. Absolutely. So. Um, I was wondering if you had any plans for the future. Do you have any um, any short or long term goals that you're looking forward to after after this uh, this time here at York? Yeah, um, I I do want to become a physician. Huh. Um, that's always been a dream of mine. Um, so I do want to go to medical school, and um, I want to help. Um, people um, in who are vulnerable um, and really work to make make a difference and and in as many people's lives and have a have a I guess have a day-to-day impact um, in just people's lives whether it's like telling someone good news or um, or helping someone, like, or diagnosing someone mm. um, and giving them proper treatment or just putting a smile on someone's face. Um, I, I, think, I think all that is so important. Um, and, yeah. So, That's wonderful, yeah. So I, I guess long-term goals, um, become a physician and make, make people smile. And yeah. Just, yeah, that's, those are, and, yeah, those are the two the two most important things to me as of, as of today. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. I, I was, I mean, I'm interested in, in this a little bit because, um, you know, as someone who's doing a little research myself, um, sometimes that can be lost as the day-to-day, is the, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm doing is putting a smile on a person's face in the immediate. You know, you don't see it right away. You hope that in the long term your research can have like a beneficial impact mm-hmm. and maybe you've structured the project in such a way that, the people you're working with are um, benefiting from it as you go, which is great, but you do lose that immediate thing. I'm wondering yeah. if you're finding that at all, doing what you're doing now, or do you feel like there's there's some of that in what you're doing? Yeah, um, no, I, I get that. Um, I I think I think each project has like different. Um, I I think it's just the way you look at it. Mm. Um, for example, like. Like oh you're putting a smile on someone's face like oh that could be like through meetings, yeah. Um, so, so in terms of my like my research today, um, I do think I'm having an impact, um, 
in in terms of just like oh going to meetings and like and trying to collaborate um so in that sense yes amazing well thank you so much jay thank you so much for having me i i really appreciate it <laughs> such a pleasure um i'm glad uh, i'm glad i could ask you uh ask you everything that's been on my mind and uh, i'm looking forward to seeing you around absolutely ben i think uh I'm getting another thumbs up here. So I think we're good to wrap up. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the mock-up. Um, this was Jay Doshi and myself, Michael Ruderman, uh, for the Migration and Critical Health podcast. Bye-bye. <laughs>